You are listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praisecc.org. Hear the word of the Lord. As for the promise which I made you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit is abiding in your midst. Do not fear. For thus says the Lord of hosts, once more in a little while, I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and also the dry land. I will shake all the nations and they will come with the wealth of all nations. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house will be greater than the former glory, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. Hallelujah. 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 Hallelujah, Lord God. We embrace your word. We embrace your promises. We embrace your presence. We embrace you, Lord God. We say yes, we abide in this, Lord. And we ask, God, that you would do the greater glory that you would establish a greater revelation of your majesty and your might and your power in this house, in our homes, in our individual temples, Lord. We asking God, we're looking to you, we're asking for the greater glory. We're asking for what you promised. You have spoken of an epicenter. You have spoken of a a revival hub. You have spoken of an altar of your presence, God. We say yes to being all of that for you, Jesus, because you're worthy, Jesus. You are worthy to have your way. You are worthy to be lifted high. You are worthy to be magnified. You are worthy to be proclaimed. You are worthy to be trumpeted throughout northern Iowa. You are worthy, O oh Lord God, to have the greater glory, the greater worship, the higher praises, the wonder, the awe, the majesty. O oh God, that we would be awestruck, that we would be absolutely astonished by you again, God. Would you shake us out of any complacency? Would you awaken the reverence and the love that you have for you, Jesus? Oh, that we may behold your glory and majesty and that we may see you as you really are. Oh, God, we thank you that you have promised the greater glory. We worship you today and we receive it. We acknowledge it greater healings greater healings greater works shall we do than the past that we have seen god i thank you for greater healings surprising shocking amazing healings done by your mighty right hand you would stretch it forth to bring healing you would arise in our midst and swoop in like that dove and bring peace in the midst of all of this stuff god oh dove of god would you rest in this house You have promised peace, shalom, that we cannot imagine, but you said it is of your spirit. It is not of man's making, and we thank you for it. We receive it right now. We give you the glory, God. Thank you. Thank you for all that you've done, all that you're doing. Give us ears to hear. Give us faith that's alive, faith that is full of hope full of energy, full of life, God. Give us a faith, oh God, that looks like nothing in the past of our faith that has been a mustard seed, but it will grow by your spirit, God. We thank you for this faith. We thank you for your presence. We rest in your presence. We rest in who you are. We receive it all in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen.
Amen. Hallelujah. You may be seated. Ah, it's good stuff, Lord. Thank you. Hallelujah. Well, last time, you guys will hear me talk about the house of prayer today. Today. <laughs> it can always happen. But we have some things we wanted to just, you know, put out there for you that we're, we're doing in this season um, that our nation is in. Starting the 12th of next month on Saturday morning at 9.30 at the Beacon prayer room at the Beacon. We're going to be having prayer from 9.30 to 10.30 every Saturday morning until the election. Then on election day, we'll have the prayer room open until the polls close. So this is a season where the church can rise up and vote, but rise up and appeal to heaven. And that is our mandate. And two specific ones in particular, praying for the election and praying also for the Supreme Court. And the Lord highlighted those two, I think, through Dutch sheets, but also in my heart, the government of God released through our government, but the justice of God released through our justice system. It needs to change. We need the Holy Spirit to intervene. So on Saturday mornings, we will be praying for those two in particular and whatever else God leads on a Saturday morning. So 9.30 to 10.30, uh, down at the beacon, and we'll see where God leads after that. Couple praise, couple praise report, praise report. Uh, since we start, we started sharing about the vision. We had somebody come in this past month and pay for next month's rent for a house of prayer at Living Free, and I went going, whoa, did, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Is God's good? My my, it's like, I thought, you know, I'm just so not into, you know, raising funds, you know, that's just not my sweet spot, obviously. But, and then God just stirred a heart and gave. And we, we were able to also purchase uh, some sound equipment uh, for our Friday night worship, as well as moving forward with whatever God does, outside events, whatever that. We got a little portable sound equipment we just purchased. And, um, what else was there, honey bunch? And the sign. Yeah, we're going to we're looking at getting a banner type sign that we can put up, and maybe if we do something outside, you know, those kind of things that we can have a uh, something out there to recognize people know that the our chop is in the house, and Abba is in the house, and so uh, yeah, those are just some things we got going on that are just like going to be awesome and a lot of fun, and we're blessed uh, to be a part of the army, the church. We got your ground troops. We got your air troops. We got foot on the ground. We got heaven invading from the heavenly realms into our city, into this area. It's amazing. It is amazing. God is so good. Was there anything else I was going to mention? That's it. Thank you so much for giving to the house of prayer. Thank you. Thank you for praying. Thank you for pressing into this secret place. I had a scripture, just one last scripture I wanted to share. And it's Jesus. In Luke 18.1, told a whole series of parables. And it says, one day Jesus taught the apostles to keep praying 
never stop or lose hope. One other one says, now Jesus was telling them, the disciples, a parable to make the point that at all times they ought to pray, not give up, and lose hope. Our call is a mandate to the house of prayer. It's not stop, not lose hope. But we keep pressing in to his presence and pressing on in the spirit. Thanks for supporting us. You don't have a ton of things in common with God, but there is one thing. You speak. So does he. God spoke light into existence with his words. I wonder what you could speak into existence with your words this week. I wonder what kind of love you could speak into your marriage that feels like it's in neutral. I wonder what kind of courage you could speak into the heart of a child who's hurting. I wonder what kind of peace you could speak into your broken friendship. What kind of hope you could speak into your own weary soul. I want you to know that the most powerful words you're gonna speak this week is probably not gonna be on a stage or a conference call or closing the deal with a client that you want. The most powerful words you're gonna speak is probably just with one or two people listening, maybe zero. It's totally possible that the most powerful sentence you'll say this week is a thoughtful text message that you send to a friend who's walking through the valley of the shadow of death. It's the apology email that you finally get the courage to send it's the whispered prayers through tears in the middle of a dark night. Powerful words aren't just for preachers who stand behind pulpits. They're for parents who stand next to bunk beds. Speak life into their kids. For spouses who share hopes and dreams during pillow talk and not criticism for teenagers who stand up to bullies stand up for the uncool kids your tongue is so small but so powerful your tongue is telling a story tongue is telling a story. We're going to get into a story uh, this morning uh, that some tongues are telling. Before I do that, um, I want to just uh, make a, just a couple of announcements uh, before we uh, get started. Uh, nursery and our preschool classes will resume next week. So uh, spread the word. If you're here, have nursery uh, age or preschool uh, age kids. Next Sunday, we're going to have all that kind of up and running. The nursery will be available uh, the entire service time. And then our, uh, the, I think the preschool is available during the entire time as well. So uh, if you're not familiar, uh, those are the rooms um, over here to the um, north of me. Um, so you can uh, just resume that next Sunday. First through sixth grade, we will not be able to resume that until we get some more volunteers. A lot of the volunteers who were working with that um, are either not able or are just not yet willing uh, to step into that role right now with the coronavirus. So we are short of volunteers there. 
Um, so we've got a few, but we just don't have enough to make it work. And so we're just asking you, if you feel God stirring you uh, to do that, uh, you can talk to Neva. She would love to get you plugged in. And as soon as we get uh, the necessary and needed volunteers, we'll be able to uh, begin to offer that as well. Um, this coming Tuesday, 9 o'clock, uh, kicks off our Bible reading marathon. So we're going to be over here at Central Park. We're not going to be at the courthouse. We're going to be at Central Park this year. Uh, that begins, um, we're kicking it off uh, Tuesday morning with uh, city leaders uh, are going to be uh, reading for the first three hours. And then um, just a lot of different churches have stepped up uh, again this year. Uh, so that begins Tuesday, 9 o'clock. We are hoping uh, to have it uh, done by uh, next Saturday night. So if you've not yet signed up for that, uh, Karen Campbell is here. She would love to get you plugged in uh, this week. And uh, just looking forward to it. It looks like it's going to be a great week. At, um, no rain, uh, pretty mild temperatures. So uh, if you want to just even come and just sit and uh, soak in the presence, just soak and listen, uh, we're going to kind of have uh, several different tents set up around the main one just so people, if they're so inclined, can just be there to pray, uh, to listen, just to kind of soak uh, in the presence there. Uh, so again, uh, strategic discipleship. Uh, anything I need to announce about that, Janie? Uh, we've had signups for that. A number of you have signed up. So we're going to be uh, kind of getting uh, those uh, solidified, those groups solidified. So we'll probably be contacting those of you that have indicated interest to kind of let you know where we're going to uh, plug you in at. So if you've uh, not yet signed up and want to get in that, uh, you, you sure can. I'm just going to invite you guys to stand this morning. We're going to just read together. Powerful scripture from Psalm 23. I, I'm, I'm bringing this from the Passion uh, Translation. I'm going to teach out of the Passion Translation this morning. Uh, this is just, again, an incredible uh, passage of scripture. And the Passion uh, Translation, it really is designed to really kind of capture uh, God's passion, his heart uh, for you and I. And so um, I would call this the heart translation because it really is intended to connect to and to speak to your heart, your inner man. So as you kind of read through this together, hopefully you're going to kind of hear God's heart, God's passion for you uh, in this. So let's just read together. The Lord is my best friend and my shepherd. I always have more than enough. He offers a resting place for me in his luxurious love. His tracks take me to an oasis of peace, the quiet brook of bliss. That's where he restores and revives my life. He opens before me pathways to God's pleasure and leads me along in his footsteps of righteousness so that I can bring honor to his name. Lord, even when your path takes me through the valley of deepest darkness, fear will never conquer me, for you already have. You remain close to me and lead me through it all the way. Your authority is my strength and my peace. The comfort of your love takes away my fear. I'll never be lonely, for you are near. You become my delicious feast, when my enemies dare to fight. You anoint me with the fragrance of your Holy Spirit. You give me all I can drink of you until my heart overflows. So why would I fear the future? 
for your goodness and love pursue me all the days of my life. Then afterward, when my life is through, I'll return to your glorious presence to be forever with you. You may be seated. You feel the passion of that? You feel the heart of God? That is, that is his heart towards you. That is his desire for you. Last week, we uh, were kind of working in, uh, our way through the uh, seven messages to the seven churches, and I said something last week that kind of uh, piqued my interest. It was something that I really felt like the Holy Spirit wanted me to develop a little bit more uh, today. So I'm going to push the pause button on the, the series on Revelation uh, because I really feel like God wanted to speak something uh, to us um, as, a, as his people this morning. And so I just want to be obedient to that. And I, and I promise next week, um, if God cooperates, we'll get back to, um, to the, uh, the uh, message on uh, the seven churches. So um, one of the things that I, I said last week in regards to testing, the purpose of God's testing, why God allows us to be tested, and I said was this, that testing is designed by God. He does this on purpose. It's part of his plan in that he wants to reveal, establish, and solidify your identity of who you are in Christ and who God desires to be in union with you as you live life. That is the purpose of testing. It, it is to reveal, it is to establish and to solidify your identity, who you are in Christ, and then how he sees you as you live together in union and just kind of living life. I was listening to a, a teaching, and I want to just kind of build on that concept of our identity in Christ. Who are we? I was listening to a teaching recently by Graham Cook, and he made this statement that just really grabbed my attention. And he said, there are three key elements to developing an identity. And he said they are lens, mindset, and language. Three components, three elements to developing your identity are lens, mindset, and language. So let me just break those down. Lens is how do you see yourself? How do I see God? How does God see me? That's your lens. That's, you're looking at yourself. How do I see myself? How do I see God? How does God see me? Lens. Mindset begins to develop, who am I? Who is God? Proverbs 23, 7 says, For as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So this is how I see myself, that's my lens. This is how I see God, again, that's my lens. Therefore, this is who I am, that's my mindset. This is who God is, this is how I see him, that's my mindset towards God. This is how God sees me, 
That's his lens of how he looks at me. And therefore, God has a mindset of how he sees you. Okay, that's, that's mindset. And, and you'll, you'll get this a little clearer as we get into the story. So language is that our words kind of reveal our lens and mindset that we have. Our words, they reveal our thoughts. They reveal what's happening inside of us. Our choice of words really reveal a lot about how we see ourselves, how God sees us, and how we see God. It's revealed by our language. And so out of those three elements, lens, mindset, language, comes our identity. This is who I am. Now, I'm going to walk you through an Old Testament story because I want you to see how these three elements kind of work together, how they interact among each other, and how God wants to use this to kind of interact and engage in those three areas uh, with you, and how God wants to use that to establish, to reveal and solidify your identity in him. And the story I want to use is the Old Testament book, The Song of Solomon. Now, for those of you that are not too familiar with this book, let me just give you a really brief overview. The Song of Solomon, it's an allegory. It's a story that is made up in order to kind of reveal a deeper, hidden meaning. It's written by King Solomon, who is the son of King David. It is the story, uh, two main characters in there. One is a Shulamite woman, and she kind of represents the bride of Christ, the body of Christ. The other character is the shepherd king who represents Christ. Now, some scholars interpret the Song of Solomon through the lens of marriage, and, and, and it does have some language, some elements of applications of marriage in it. But I believe, first and foremost, it is an allegory that is used to depict the relationship that Christ desires to have with his body, his church, his bride. And I say that because right out of the box, chapter 1, verse 1, it, it opens saying the most amazing song of all. And the most amazing song of all would have to be Jesus because that is the greatest, most amazing name known to mankind. Also, I'm going to use the Passion Translation because one of the things I love about this particular translation when it comes to the Song of Solomon um, is that he does an exceptional job of really capturing the language, the heart, the passion, the emotion, the desire uh, that God really has for us, his body, his bride. And, and he kind of translates it more as a dialogue, a back and forth between the Shulamite woman, the, the, the bride of Christ, and the shepherd king, the bridegroom, and you'll see that as we get into it. So again, lens, mindset, language. Song of Solomon, chapter 1, verse 5. The Shulamite woman is speaking here, and she says, I know I am so unworthy, so in need. So this is the lens of how she sees herself. 
I am unworthy and needy. This is her lens. This is how she sees herself. Therefore, it really becomes her mindset, and we know that because she speaks it out. She reveals it by her language. I am unworthy and needy. Therein lies her identity. I am unworthy and needy. Now, you won't find this dialogue broken down in any other translation other than the passion. That's why I'm using this particular translation. By the way, it's very, very interesting. Uh, Several months ago, I was kind of reading his introduction into the Song of Solomon, and he said this by far is, is his favorite book in all of the Bible, so much so that he said it was the first book that he actually translated in writing uh, this particular translation. So in verse 5, we we find the response of the shepherd king to the Shulamite woman, and here's what he says, yet you are so lovely. So the lens, the mindset, the language by which the shepherd king responds to the Shulamite woman there who says, I am I am needy, I am unworthy. His response to her is, yet you are so lovely. That is his lens. That is how he sees her. Her lens, her mindset, her language, which ultimately is her identity, says, I'm unworthy. Whereas his lens, his mindset, his language says, you are so lovely. Now, it's important to note there that that opening initial statement that the shepherd king makes there is a declaration of love towards her. It is the beauty that he sees in her. Now, I want you to understand this is the heart of God toward you and I. Every encounter, and by every encounter, I mean every encounter God has with us is initiated out of his great love for us. God will come to you in no other disposition other than love. He will not come to you out of anger. He will not come to you out of vengeance. He will not come to you out of disappointment. He will not come to you disillusioned. He will only come to you, he will only initiate with you out of a place of deep, abiding, great love for you. If God were to reveal himself to you, to correct you, to discipline you, to rebuke you, to bless you, no matter how God would encounter you in whatever situation you would find yourself in that God is encountering you, it would always, always, always be from a place of love, of joy, of peace of patience, of kindness, of goodness, of faithfulness, of gentleness, of self-control. The shepherd king responds to the Shulamite woman and his response comes out of this place of deep, 
love for her, and the same is true with us. Now, verse 5 continues with the Shulamite woman saying, not only does she say, I feel unworthy and needy, she says, I feel as dark and as dry as the desert tents of the wandering nomad. Now, what's interesting is the shepherd king's response is the same to her. She's kind of adding to, well, maybe you really don't understand where I'm at, what I'm thinking, what I'm feeling, so let me just kind of define it a bit more. Not only am I unworthy and needy, I'm, I'm dark and I'm dry like the desert tents of the wandering nomad. And yet his response to her is the same. Yet you are so lovely. He doesn't change. God never changes. He is unchanging. Now again, many scholars attribute her statement to be in regards to her sinfulness. And so because of her many sins or her failings, her faults, her mistakes, she finds herself in this place of unworthiness, of neediness, of being dark and dry. And this is her identity. And it's been established by her lens how she sees herself. It's formed her mindset and it's revealing itself in her language. The shepherd king sees something beyond what she sees. He always does. God sees what you don't see. God sees deeper and beyond what you cannot see. He sees not just your present, he also sees your potential, what you can become in him. So he sees beyond what she sees, and that is in spite of your unworthiness, in spite of your neediness, in spite of your darkness, your dryness, I see you as lovely. And I think every one of us can relate to that, to the feelings of this woman. We've all felt the weight, the stain, the pollution, the dirtiness of sin. Romans says, for everyone has sinned. We've all sinned. Every one of us in this room have. We've all fallen short of God's glorious standard. So most of us understand where she's at, where she's coming from. Our identity before we became followers of Jesus would have been similar. So we get this. We understand this. Now, I want you to see something significant that transpires here in verses uh, 8 through 9. And I'm still in chapter 1. And this is the shepherd king. This is Jesus. He's talking to her. And he says, listen, my radiant one. My dearest one, let me tell you how I see you. That statement, let me tell you how I see you, is the first step toward changing and transforming the identity of this Shulamite woman. He essentially says, I know how you see you. I hear you. Now hear me. Here's how I see you. And again, he's attempting to change the lens of how she sees herself. And the only way he can do that is to give her a view of how he sees her. 
And this is the beginning of transformation. She doesn't realize it yet. She doesn't know what he's doing here, but this is that initial first step where where he's saying to her, I'm gonna change who you are, and I'm gonna start by changing how you see yourself by telling you how I see you. you. Are you getting this? Are you with me? He goes on, look at you, my dearest darling. You are so loving. Now, I want you to understand, don't just stand off at a distance and watch this conversation. This is God engaging with us as well. If God were to come to you right now, regardless of where you may be in your relationship with him, some of you may not even have a relationship with him, I want you to know these would be the words, this would be the heart at which God would come to you. It would not be you sinner, you unworthy worm, you dirtbag. That would not be the heart or the language of God. He's gonna come at you He's going to come to you, and his words are going to be the same words we see spoken here to this woman. Look at you, my dearest darling. You are so lovely. You are beauty itself to me. You are so thrilling to me. Now, why why would that be? Well, Genesis 1.26, we're made in the image. We're made in the likeness of God. He sees something. He sees potential. He says, we will enhance your beauty, encircling you with our golden reins of love. You will be marked with our redeeming grace. Do you notice? He's not having any of her unworthy, needy, dark talk. He is declaring a new word, a better word. He is offering her a different lens by which to see herself through his eyes. And her response in verse 16, my beloved one, both handsome and winsome, you are pleasing beyond words. In other words, oh, stop it. Her response there reveals the lens through which she sees him. She she sees herself, but she's able to look at him and say, you know what, you're handsome, you are winsome. You are pleasing beyond words. So the Shulamite woman has a lens through which she sees herself. She also has a lens now through which she sees the shepherd king. She sees him as her beloved one. And the shepherd king now is attempting to change the lens of how she sees herself by allowing her to see herself through his eyes. And that basically ends chapter one. Now I promise, not, we're not gonna go through all eight chapters at this level of detail, okay? You would love it if we did, but we're not, okay? <laughs> Um, Chapter two, the shepherd king extends to her uh, an invitation. 
In verse 10, he just says, Arise, my dearest, hurry, my darling, come away with me. I have come as you asked to draw you to my heart and lead you out. For now is the time. Now is the day of salvation. Now is the time, my beautiful one. Now, his response is to a declaration that she makes back there in chapter one at the very, very beginning. And so in verses one through four of chapter one, she kind of opens the story by saying, let him smother me with kisses. His spirit kiss divine or uh, the kisses of his word, the, the word of God. Let him kiss me with his beautiful words, with his scripture. And she basically just kind of uh, goes on there uh, and says, so kind are your caresses. I drink them in like the sweetest wine. Your presence releases a, a, a fragrance so pleasing over and over poured out. In other words, you never stop giving for your lovely name is flowing oil. No wonder the brides-to-be adore you. Draw me to your heart. We will run away together into the king's cloud-filled chamber. So again, this is the declaration she makes there back in chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. And he now responds to that there in chapter 2 by saying, Okay, arise. Let's go. Come away with me. I have come to you as you have asked to draw you to my heart and lead you out. Now is the time, my beautiful one. So again, he's, he's responding to her. He's drawing her out. He's inviting her into a relationship with him. God does the same with you and I. He comes to us, and he's always inviting us into a relationship. He's always inviting us into deeper places in that relationship with him. And her response to his invitation is found in verse 16. And she said, I know my lover is mine, and I have everything in you. For we delight ourselves in each other, but, 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 but. Her but gets in the way here. She says, until the day springs to life and the shifting shadows of fear disappear, turn around, O lover or lover of my soul, and ascend to the holy mountains of separation without me. Until the new day fully dawns, go ahead into the mountain of spices. I will come away another time. She refuses his offer of relationship. She once again is looking at herself through her lens of unworthiness, of being needy, of being dark and dry. And she says, until I stop sinning, until I get my act together, until the always moving shadows of fear are gone, until the darkness, the sinfulness, the unworthiness that is in me is dispelled, I will not come. Perhaps another time when I feel more worthy. This is, again, the lens 
through which she sees herself. This is her mindset, and it's revealing itself through her language. This is her identity. Can you see this? End of chapter two. Chapter three, she has sent him away. Go without me. I'll come at another time. Chapter three, verse one, this is the Shulamite woman. She says, night after night, I'm tossing and turning on my bed of travail. Why did I let him go from me? What was I thinking? How my heart aches for him, but he is nowhere to be found. And her refusal quickly turns to regret. And she continues in verse two, so I must rise in search of him, looking throughout the city, seeking until I find him. Even if I have to roam, search through every street, nothing will keep me from my search. Where is he, my soul's true love? He is nowhere to be found. Then I encountered the overseers. Some interpret that to mean the church. Then I encountered the overseers as they encircled the city. So I asked them, have you found him, my heart's true love? And she said, just as I moved past them, I encountered him. I found the one I adore. I caught him and I fastened myself to him, refusing to be feeble in my heart again. Reunited and it feels so good. This is the highlight of chapter three. Now, again, there's a lot going on in this story. I, I don't have time to go into the intricacies of all eight chapters. So I would encourage you to read this on your own, again, using the Passion Translation, because it does such an incredible job of just, again, capturing and conveying the essence of what the writer Solomon was revealing about the heart, the passion, the desire, the nature, the character of God, uh, the Father toward us. Chapter four, so she finds him. They're reunited. Without wasting any time, the shepherd king, he just picks up right where he left off. There, there's, no, there's no rebuke. There's no chastisement of her. Again, he just begins to allow her to see herself through his eyes. And he just says, listen, my darling, you are so beautiful. You are beauty to me. Your eyes, they glisten with love. When I look at you, I, I see how you have taken my fruit and tasted my word. Your life has become clean and pure. I, I know you see it as dark. I know you see it as dry, as unworthy. But I see your life has become clean and pure. You now show grace and balance with truth on display. What pleasure you bring to me. When I look at you, he says, here's what I see. I, I see inner strength. So stately and strong. And again, these are just a few of the words. I'm, I'm just picking and pulling uh, out of a bunch of verses there in chapter 4. And again, the point of everything that he is saying to her is, I want you to see me. I want you to see yourself through my eyes. Why? Because our identity is developed 
It is established. It is solidified through lens, mindset, language. And here's a key point. When you begin to change or to influence one of those elements, lens, mindset, or language, you will begin to see a shift in the other two areas. And I say that because I want you to notice her response to the shepherd king in verse six. After everything he has said to her, after all that he has allowed her to see of how he sees her, I want you to see her response in verse six. She said, I've made up my mind. Now what is that? Mindset. I've made up my mind. Until the darkness disappears and the dawn has fully come in. Again, she's recognizing her darkness. She's recognizing her struggles. She's recognizing her failures. She's recognizing that, yes, there may be these places of unworthiness, of needy, of darkness, of dryness in me. But until the dawn is fully come, in spite of those shadows of fear, I know you see in me. I've made up my mind. I will now go to the mountaintop with you, the mountain of suffering love and the hill of burning incense. And she says, yes, I will be your bride. Woo! That is her identity. In spite of everything she sees about herself, she's being influenced by how he sees her and it begins to shift all of these areas in her to where she's able to come to a point to say, in spite of everything I see, I am gonna yield to what you see in me and I will be your bride. She has a change of mindset because she's starting to see herself through his lens. She's starting to hear through his language about her. And it begins to affect and to influence her lens, her mindset, her language, and ultimately her identity. She still sees her darkness. She still sees the fear. She still sees the shadow of failures and weaknesses. But now she is able to filter all of that through his eyes of love. His view of her beauty, of her loveliness, she is willing now to enter into that relationship with him. Beloved, the same is true of us in our relationship with him he does not wait for you to become perfect, to become sinless, to be without fault before he saves you and enters into a relationship with you. He is the savior because he came to save you. He came to save you out of your unworthiness, out of your neediness, out of your darkness, out of your dryness. He's not much of a savior if there's nothing to save you from, amen? So in response to her becoming his bride, he continues to respond to her in the same way he always has, showing her how he sees her. Why? Because it produced change. You know, you've heard the saying, if, if you keep doing the same thing over and over and get the same results. Yeah, so he, he's getting what he wants here. 
He's getting transformation in her. How did he get it? By showing her how he sees him. So he just continues doing what's working. Why change what isn't broken, right? It produced change. It brings about transformation. And how she saw herself, her identity, who she is now, his bride. All revelation. Now get this. All revelation becomes transformational through two key elements, knowledge and encounter. And this is exactly what he does for her. The revelation of how he sees her, the knowledge of who she really is in his eyes, in spite of her darkness, her fears, the shadows of her failure, he just continues to encounter her over and over and over again. And he just invites her into a deeper, a more abiding relationship with him. And it just begins to bring about transformation in her. Now, what's interesting in the Passion Translations, and one of the reasons I love this particular translation, is up to this point in the story, he is referred to as the shepherd king. When she enters into that relationship and says, yes, I will be your bride, from there on, he is now known as the bridegroom king. I love that. So again, he responds to her just as he always has there. Verse seven, every part of you is so beautiful, my darling. Perfect is your beauty without flaw within. Now you are ready, my bride, to come with me as we climb the highest peaks together. Come with me through the archway of trust. I know you have fears, but come with me through the archway of trust and you'll see those fears fall away. That's, I'm, I'm adding to that. And he goes on, he says, for you reach into my heart with one look or one flash of your eyes, I am undone by your love. My beloved, my equal, my bride. You leave me breathless. Some of you, some of you, I can feel the resistance in the room. For some of you, this is too intimate. I like God. I can handle father, but I do, you don't have a concept for yourself as the bride of Christ. You don't have an identity for yourself as the bride of Christ. So when you hear language like this, some of you can't even envision God ever thinking of you in those terms, much less ever speaking to you in these terms. What, what Solomon is showing us here, he, he's showing us God's heart toward us. And yes, it may be uncomfortable. It may be unsettling. It may be new, but it is true. It is who he is. It is how he sees you. It is how he longs to interact with you in a place of deep abiding intimacy. And don't run from that. Run toward it. You leave me breathless. I am overcome by merely a glance from your worshiping eyes, for you have stolen my heart. Again, he says so much more. I'm just pulling a few verses here and there just to give you a flavor of how he is responding to her. Uh, again, this is how God wants to respond to you and I. 
He's showing her how he sees her. The New Testament called this the renewing of her mind. He's exchanging one lens for another. I know how you see yourself, but let me show you how I see you. There can be no transformation outside of a renewed mind. So she responds to all that's spoken to her, verse 16, and she says, I love this. Then may your awakening breath blow upon my life until I am fully yours. If you're here this morning and you're feeling resistance to this, this is your prayer. This is how you can now respond to God. Then may your awakening breath blow upon my life until all of my barriers are down, until all my resistance is gone, until I am fully, completely yours, unsurrendered, un, just fully yielded to you. Breathe upon me with your spirit wind. Baptize me in your Holy Spirit. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. It's what her heart's crying for here. Stir up the sweet spice of your life within me. Spare nothing as you make me your fruitful garden. Hold nothing back until I release your fragrance. Come walk with me as you walked with Adam in your paradise garden. Come taste the fruits of your life, the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, all of that. She says, come walk with me until I am fully yours. Come taste the fruits of your life in me and she wants it all she wants a full-on head-on encounter and she's willing to do whatever it takes whatever she has to do in order to receive all that he has for her to surrender to whatever way she needs to in order to encounter his heart and to have a relationship with him do whatever you have to do so that I can see myself the way you see me. Make me your fruitful garden. Let me release your fragrance, your knowledge, your revelation of who you are and who I am in you. This is what she's wanting to do. She said, this isn't just true for me. It's true for everybody. And I want to go and tell everybody what you've done in me. That's what she said. I want to release the fragrance of this. It's beautiful. I want to share it. And again, all of this is gradually producing change and transformation in her life. The more she is willing to see herself through his eyes, the more she yields, the more she surrenders herself to that. It will impact and influence her lens, her mindset, her language, which will ultimately solidify her identity of who she really is. And again, I'm not, I'm not going to go through all eight chapters here. The back and forth exchange between the bride and the bridegroom king. I would just, again, encourage you, please, take time to read this in the Passion Translation. I think you can get on like BibleGateway.com, Bible and you can download the, the Song of Solomon in the, in the Passion Translation. So I want to take you to the very end of the story because the Shulamite bride makes a very, very revealing statement. Chapter 8, beginning in verse 10. And she says, But now I have grown mature and become a bride. 
and my love for him has made me a tower of passion and contentment for my beloved. I am now a firm wall of protection for others, guarding them from harm. This is how he sees me. I am the one who brings him bliss, finding favor in his eyes. Do you notice what's missing from this? What she said in the very beginning, I'm unworthy, I'm needy, I'm dark, I'm dry. Boy, you get to chapter eight, the end of the story, you don't hear any of that. I am a tower of passion. He has made me content in him. I am a firm wall of protection for others. I know so much about him. I can begin to guard others who are harming themselves the way I was. This isn't how I see me. This is how he sees me. I am the one who brings him bliss, happiness. I am favored in his eyes. This is how she now sees herself. Her lens was changed. Her mindset was changed. We see her language has been completely transformed, and out of that comes her identity. This is who I am in him. That's powerful. Again, go back to chapter one and see how she sees herself now because she was willing to take him at his word. She was willing to receive his word into her heart. She's now grown. She is maturing growing spiritually, a bride, a tower of passion, content. She now becomes a safe place for others who are hurting and broken like she once was, bringing bliss, finding favor in his eyes. This is not just her story. This is intended to be my story and your story. This is what God longs to do in every one of us. And God does it with us just the same way he did it with this Shulamite woman. So many of us see ourselves through our eyes of fear, of shame, of guilt, of condemnation, of unworthiness, while Father God sees beyond all of that, through his eyes of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. He sees the potential of what you and I could become in relationship with him, sons and daughters of the most high God. 
He wants us to get our identity from him, not from ourselves and not from other people, but how he sees us. Not just as we are, but as we can become the potential that is within us. And that revelation will bring transformation and it will reveal, it will solidify, it will establish your identity in him. So I wanna just close by asking you this question. What areas of your lens, your mindset, your language do you need God to encounter you in this morning? Which of those areas do you just need an encounter with the love of God this morning so that you can stop seeing yourself through your own lens but begin to start seeing God and seeing yourself through his lens? Behavior is always a reflection of identity. Behavior is always a reflection. It's always about your identity. What you are believing about yourself, what you believe about God, what you believe about others, is a reflection of your identity. So let me ask you, what are you believing about yourself? What are you believing about God? What are you believing about other people that would make you think, speak, act the way you do? What language of the world do you need to just lay down and to begin to pick up the language of the kingdom? I want to just close with Ephesians 1, verse 3. Every spiritual blessing. Now, in the Greek, um, every means every. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm has already, past tense, has already been lavished upon you as a gift of love from your heavenly Father, your wonderful heavenly Father, all because how does he see you? How does he see you? Is that how you see you? If that is not how you see you, you need an identity makeover. And God is gonna do that through the lens, the mindset, the language. By allowing you to see yourself, to see you how he sees you. As wrapped into Christ. When he looks at, at Patty, he doesn't see just Patty. That person died. When Jesus went into the grave, he took the old nature, the old Patty, the old Jeff, the old Jim. He took it into the grave. He killed it. And then he left it there for dead. 
And he was raised with newness of life and we are now united with him and we are now a new creation. The old is dead and buried. The new has come. This is our identity in Christ. This is how our heavenly father sees us wrapped, united, abiding, and resting in Christ, living from the life, his life that lives and dwells in me and you and all who believe in Jesus Christ. So it's gonna invite the worship team up this morning. Wanna just give a little bit of ministry time. I think I've connected the dots pretty well this morning. I don't know that there's a whole lot more that I need to say. So I'm just going to open it up for just a time of ministry this morning. If, if you're here this morning and, you know, there's just something in that message that really kind of stirs your heart and, and maybe there's just some things you see about yourself um, that, that kind of resonate with that Shulamite woman there in the very, very beginning. And as you kind of hear God's heart being expressed, his, his passion for you, his delight in you, the pleasure that you bring to him, maybe there's just something in you that kind of just uh, is resisting that. And again, maybe this morning, it's, you just need to lay something down in order to pick up something that he has for you from his kingdom this morning. So I just want to just open it up and we just ask, you know, Jim and Mary, um, you, you, you know, those of you that are, uh, that pray, Patty, uh, Janie, um, Bruce and Mara, um, you know, if, if you feel led to come up and pray this morning with people, it doesn't have to be my, by my invitation. Um, we just want some people here this morning that just can begin to kind of pray and there just may need to be some uh, changes, some healing, some uh, transformation in, in one or maybe all of those areas, your lens, your mindset, and your language this morning. I could spend five minutes with you this morning and just hear your language and probably pretty much tell you where you're at in your walk with the Lord. And so just think about your language this morning. It's saying a lot about where you are. And if it's language that um, is, is not kingdom language, it's not reflective of how uh, the Father sees you um, this morning, that, that is a place where God wants to begin to bring change and transformation. So I'm just going to invite you this morning. Um, you know where you're at in the story. So we're just going to invite you this morning. If you just want to come and be prayed for this morning, uh, we would love to pray with you. If you're feeling led, you can stand up with us and worship too. I've heard a thousand stories of what they think you're like. But I've heard the tender whisper of love in the dead of night And you tell me that you're pleased and that I'm never alone You're a good, good father It's who you are It's who you are 
You are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways to us. We believe it. You are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways. Perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways to us. One more time. You are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways to you are perfect. Yes. Sometimes the, the things that we're dealing with feel less than perfect. We, we look at what's going on and how, you're, how you may be responding to the struggle, and it feels less than perfect. But God, we do. We trust you. We trust you that your ways are better. Your ways are higher. That you have a plan that is bigger than us. It's bigger than what we can see. It goes further than our, our, even our own lifetime, God, that this is a legacy that you're working through us. Yes. So God, we believe that you are perfect in all of your ways. And, and where we have bucked your system, where we have gone against you and rebelled and been disobedient, God, we say right now, your ways are perfect. You are perfect in all your ways. You're a good father. You're a good father. Thank you for wrapping us up in your son. You're a good father. I just feel like we need to sing this. You are perfect in all of your ways a couple more times. Like maybe we don't believe it quite yet. <laughs> I know there's places where that's a challenge. So God, we believe you are perfect. You are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways to us. We believe you are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways to us. You are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways to us. 
bless your name, Lord Jesus. We thank you for everything that's happened here today. We thank you for freedom that has started and seeds that were planted. God, we ask you to water them now. We ask you to just water them. Give us all the growth that we need. We, we surrender to your growth. We surrender to the maturing, to the obedience that is learned through suffering. We thank you for this message today about our identity and that we are found in you. God, wherever we start uh, finding our identity in anything else other than you, Lord, make it so obvious like nails on a chalkboard that we would be so very much aware of it that we would stop and go, what was that? I will not be living in that way anymore. So God, this, this, is, our, this is our promise. This is a yes to you, a yes to all that you're doing in our lives. And we say thank you. Amen. You are listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praisecc.org.